Okay, so we've already established texting is probably the best way to connect with candidates, right? Plus, next stats show 73% of professionals are open to receiving job opportunities via text. And with a 99% delivery rate, you cannot go wrong. Those are two big reasons why you gotta love text to hire from next. That's right, text to hire from next with the double X not the triple X. Next has over 8 million candidates who have opted in to receive jobs via text, and you and your clients need qualified candidates. Next can help you find and target qualified candidates who have opted in for job opportunities via text. And in today's competitive market, you need an edge to reach qualified candidates faster. You need text to hire from Next. Just go to chadcheese.com and click on the next logo to learn more about how you can gain a competitive edge with opt-in texting. Text to hire from Next. It just makes sense. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Yo, what's up, everybody? got a special show today. We got a super fan on the line super as well fan. as being a super smart guy. Uh, what's up, everybody? I'm Joel Cheeseman. This is the Chad and Cheese podcast. I'm joined today by Tyler Weeks and Chad Sowash, who said Tyler Weeks. So Tyler, uh, super fan, head of the fan club. Uh, great, great style, by the way. Also, uh, welcome to the show. Give us a little bit about you for those who don't know. Give us the elevator pitch. I'm so well known. I'm sure I, it hardly needs. That is true. Everywhere. You are a bit iconic. Everywhere. Yeah. I'm a bit of an oddball. I, I'm, a, I'm a physicist by training, jumped out of research and development and right into talent acquisition. And I've been in the space for almost four years now. And I run a team called uh, Analytics and Automation, um, and we're looking at how to be competitive using technology and machine learning. Well, what a great coincidence that we talk oh, about yeah. automation so much huh. on the show that you happen to be a guest today. Physicist, yeah. I've got. I, let's break this down real quick. So, how do you make the jump from being a fucking physicist <laughs> to going to talent acquisition? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that works. I need to understand how that works. <laughs> and have you had your head checked? Like you know, drug addiction? Is that in there somewhere? Right. This, this, is, this is what it looks like when we wash out. No, actually, you know, it's interesting. I, even in going through grad school, I was really interested in business problems. Um, and I liked playing around with things in the, in the business school and talking to VCs and was sort of set on having my own billion dollar startup. And I... You know, jumped into a career doing research and development, but never lost that drive for business development. And at some point, I kind of realized that I really wanted to get out of the lab and and go 
tackle those types of problems. And it took me quite a while to rebrand myself and and upskill. What kind of timeline are we talking about? So you, you graduate at what age and then you did that for how long? And then it took you how long to get into talent acquisition? So I did that for about five and a half years, uh, the research and development. I would say probably around about halfway through that, I, I decided that I wanted to change, but I didn't want to just like jump into something I didn't want to do. So I, I took my time, spent a lot of time talking to folks about business roles and learning how to talk about business. You know, a lot of like, you know, crashed and burned in a lot of places with interviews that went nowhere and resumes that were garbage and all that stuff. And really learning how to tell my story became part of that that journey. Um, and then I, through some networking, found this role in HR. And honestly, like, I was really skeptical about it because in my mind, HR was just Toby from the office. And I, <laughs> I was just like, I, I, and I don't. You were wrong. How? I, I was just like, I just don't know what this thing is. But it was in talent acquisition, and uh, I had a few friends that were like, "No, this is actually a cool role." And I, I hopped in in a purely business role. It was, it was running the recruiting strategy for all of Intel's manufacturing globally. Were you at Intel previously, or what? Yeah, so I've been at Intel for for about nine years now. So you convinced them to take this jump to take you from one profession to another one. How? How did that go? Someone, someone who just took a big chance on me. They took a huge chance on me, and uh, and I, I don't know if they were, it was a good idea or not. And then I, <laughs> I um, so I did that for some for about a year, and then our we had just adopted Workday. Ouch. <laughs> Basically, that was Armageddon in terms of like, you know, just complete meltdown of all our analytics. It, you know, we, we just, it's like driving a, a, a cruise ship by just bumping into the shore, right? Like there was no, there was no visibility into what was happening. And so I, they asked me to join our analytics team. And then, because I kind of become this weird unicorn where I understood after this crash course of a year, talent acquisition and the analytics. And now I'm here and I, do a lot of storytelling and a lot of um, building our, our technology roadmap. Intel, not a small company, but you lead analytics and automation and you lead that team. How big is the team? This is one of the things that got me. Everybody listen. How big's the team? So I've I've got about 15 people globally. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. About 15. <laughs> About 15. 15 people globally. Yeah. I mean, you guys just on your analytics and automation team probably outnumber many of the, rec- <laughs> the recruiting like branding teams or anything like out, out there, right? Our leaders uh, in town uh-huh. acquisition in particular have invested heavily in analytics. That's awesome. And they've done that intentionally to try to drive up uh, the ROI of the team. And we actually accomplished quite a bit of work with a very lean team of recruiters and sourcers in recruitment market. If you look at the number of people we have worldwide doing talent acquisition, I think we're actually fairly small as an org, but I think it's because we invest we invest strategically okay. in things like automation and analytics to help us make smarter decisions decisions rather than just kind of brute force, let's hire the planet and have a thousand RPO contracts all over the world. And that today is why we're here, right? Yeah, that's exactly why we're here. So Tyler and I, after he got off stage, him and Lynn were on stage at the Smashflies Transform um, conference in Boston earlier this year. I uh, got off the stage. Yeah. And Lynn is. And Lynn is. What, what's Lynn's title? Lynn Bailey, she is um, Yoda. I think she's our resident Yoda. She's she is our transformation program 
manager. So she had this role of basically modernizing how we do talent acquisition. So putting the puzzle, the puzzle pieces together is what Alinda sounds easy. Yeah, not so yeah. much. So they had this amazing uh, presentation around the infinity loop, uh, which instead of using recruiting funnels, you should be using you know infinity loops. But anyway, afterwards, I caught up with uh, with Tyler and said, "Look, you know this is great stuff. You have so much data." And then we got into this kind of like ROI rabbit hole, which is how this podcast came to be. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that conversation and really where your passion is when it comes to obviously analytics and really the big focus on ROI when it comes to business impact. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that I, I often find myself doing is is helping build a business case or what's the what's the, the story? What, what's the thing that we actually want to accomplish? Because constantly running into folks that are making... The, there's, there's a common, there's a few common mistakes that people are making. And one of them that I really try to challenge is people mistake their budget for their value. Yes. And that to me is is the, the biggest miss. Like if you were to go and articulate what's the value of having a talent acquisition at your company, it's enormous. Like in, in terms of landing the right talent, to hit your product timelines, drive your sales, to have your marketing team up and running. Like pretty much, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here, but pretty much every component of your company is is enhanced or kept alive by having strong talent acquisition. And when I see folks advocating for more headcount or new technologies, they're typically articulating that the benefit to the company in terms of cost savings. Oh, we'll save, you know, we have X amount of dollars in our budget. We'll save this many dollars if we go get that new tool. Well, if you're looking at the ledger for the company, and if your company is making hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, the five hundred thousand dollars you're saving is is nothing. It's it's not really a compelling story. And so then you kind of go back with your tail between your legs because they were like, well, that sounds great, but we're not really do, willing to invest in that. We're going to go put our money where we're going to get a huge return for the company. So figuring out how to tie what you do to the actual revenue of your company is is the name of the game. That's how you demonstrate ROI, not just to your manager, but to the company in general. I want to go back to your team of 15 folks. When Intel made the decision to create a team of 15 or, or however many it is or how many, however many it will be, was it based on data that you already had? Was it a guess that this is where you know the puck is going? Um, and if it was a guess, has the guess been sort of come to fruition that it was the right decision? Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious how you came to the 15, the decision that was made. Was it a guess or was it uh, done by data? You know, th that's a great question. I, I hadn't thought about it in those terms. I would say it's a little bit of both. I think there was some intuition there that, hey, we need to get get good at this. Mm -hmm. Um but I don't think it was as intentional as saying we are going to invest X amount of dollars. What really happened is is that we invested in having a team that sat in Europe, a team that sat in the U.S., and a team that sat in, in Asia and kind of supported the three regions. One of the journeys that we've been on and what really kind of pulled those people together was moving from being a team that was just data. In, in other words, you know, you would come and ask us for some data and we would spit out an Excel file and email it to you to providing insight and having making that that jump from just talking about how many hires you have to forecasting what your demand would be or even defining what demand is mm -hmm. required the team to kind of work 
as a cohesive unit. And so over the last couple of years, that's really been part of my vision for the team. And what what I've really driven with us is, is getting out of the business of just being data monkeys and really delivering value. I, I 100% focused on providing value for the org. How can I, how can my, the people on my team help you make a decision? Because that's really what people want. Do you expect the team to grow over the next five, 10 years? Not necessarily. It, it could if we maybe change systems or we... Actually, I'm going to contradict myself. Yes, but not purely in analytics and in, in focused on analytics. You know, As we're adopting technologies and as we're bringing automations in, somebody's got to be watching the robots. Because they're ornery suckers. Right. No, but there's this thing where like folks think that, oh, I'm going to bring in this automation and then the ROI I'll get is I'll reduce my headcount. No, you're going to trade your headcount. You need folks that are sitting in the background making sure that you're not going to pull an Amazon and have like some biased <laughs> system that is systematically excluding people that's you simply can't do that and beyond that beyond the ethical concerns of having automation you would never go hire a human and not monitor their performance and make sure that they did the thing you hired them to do. I see in particular in HR where folks are not necessarily coming up from a pedigree of engineering or or science for that matter, that they want to go buy a black box tool, put it in and assume that it's solving the problem. I want to know, did it actually solve the problem? You know, if we're saying that we want sourcers or recruiters to have great candidates, so we're going to put in a machine learning algorithm that matches resumes to, to Rex. Okay, great. Well, is that actually making their job easier? Does that actually do any? I, I don't know if anyone can actually answer the question if that actually does anything, right? It seems nice and it's easy to sell, but does it solve a problem? I don't know. And you need you need a team of folks that are focused on connecting the solution to the actual outcome. And when we talk about outcomes, that's all analytics. So yeah, I think there is going to be a bigger demand for teams like mine, not just at Intel, but at, at right. every company that's hoping to take advantage of, of these technologies. Right. Because most companies have all that data, but it's just sitting there and they're not looking at the outcomes or really trying to, to better understand what is going on within their system. So I'm going to take that, that a little bit deeper as you're talking about uh, the data and back to what you'd said around product timelines, right? So yeah, we're looking for return on investment. We're looking for outcomes and those types of things. But the thing that we don't do, or at least I don't feel like we do enough in talent acquisition is marry that back to everyday practicality being what does that product timeline look like with those three seats empty? And what does it actually mean if this product can't launch or we can't make X amount of widgets or what have you, what does this mean to the actual bottom line? Do you see us tying talent acquisition, people, brand, sales back to, to, to the bottom line enough when it comes to talent acquisition? No, absolutely not. We totally missed the boat on this. Um, you know, we, t t Talent acquisition likes to borrow lots of concepts. We like to borrow concepts from sales and marketing, from supply chain, from manufacturing. And those are helpful constructs. They are helpful, but they're limited. We are not we are, we are like a sales org because we are selling our company. Mm -hmm. We are like a marketing org because we are marketing. However, where limitations come in is that like you're going to hire exactly the number of people that you post recs for. 
So you can't say, oh, my, my marketing was really good because we hired more people this year. It doesn't work <laughs> that way. That's not your ROI. And if so when you when you have to when you're diving in and looking at what value you're providing, you immediately start bumping up against, well, what what is my company trying to accomplish? What are our corporate goals? And how am I serving those? Purpose. What the, the purpose. And if I start to look at like, look, everybody in the world, if they go and they average, and I'm, there's probably people are going to disagree with this. If they go and, and take the average or the median of their time to accept from the day they open the rec to when someone accepts, for most people, it's somewhere around 45 days. And as far as I can tell, for people that have been in the industry for a, a thousand years, I mean, but if you went and asked Jerry Crispin, he'd tell you, yeah, it's about 45 days, give or take. It's always been that. In our experience, from then to about the time somebody actually starts, there's a huge variation. But, you know, it's about a, another month or so in reality, like, you know, folks negotiate that t- that start date. So call it a quarter, call it 90 days from the time you open a rec to somebody sitting in the seat. Well, there's a huge amount of influencing that needs to happen because finance doesn't understand that. They're talking to the business and they're saying, okay, well, you need this many more people to, for this product by the end of the quarter. It's already halfway through the quarter. It's too late already. Like they've already missed the boat. Right. And then they'll come and they'll beat the shit out of talent acquisition saying, hey, you didn't get us people in time. That's simply not how it works. Like you, we have to go find the the talent. And so being able to tell that story, like that specific story of here's what it takes to find talent, even if you're the fastest in the world, here's what it takes to help you hit your product timelines. That all comes back to that analytics and really equipping our people with that story so that they can go they can go influence. And also taking those, we actually come up with our own terms, right? Like time to hire. That's not something that the CEO and board actually talk about, right? But, but how do you tie in when a chro goes to a to to a c-suite meeting and they throw time to hire or, or time to fill uh on the table everybody looks at them like oh that isn't that cute they came up with their own oh look at that that's cute instead of actually tying it back to that time to hire and then onboarding like you're talking about what is that actually costing the company right what, what is the cost for a senior engineer position to be open right now? How long is it going to take for us to fill it? How long is the onboarding? What is that cost to the organization to the bottom line? That's, I mean, are, are, the, are those questions being, are those stories actually happening today? Th- those are, and, uh, but here's, here's the thing is I think that's just scratching the surface. Okay. I think that is the most obvious connection and it's the place that we can go drive a, we, we can go influence the business on is, hey, right, you're not going right. to hit your product timeline. I think there's a deeper layer of ROI that I really want to figure out. I haven't figured this out. This is just, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm pushing to, to look at is moving beyond the value of a hire. What's the value of, of a candidate to the company? Because if we can start to identify how much a candidate is worth to our company, mm-hmm. then we can start to talk about ROI for recruitment marketing, right? We can say, hey, look, we didn't, we only hired X amount of people. We're going to hire X amount of people every year. So why would I invest? This is why I think recruitment and marketing teams fail to get investment is the company looks at it and goes, well, why would I invest in that? What am I getting for it? Um, because right. 
but they don't understand the value of a, of a, of a candidate. And the, the analogy I, I keep going to I, that I think is helpful here, but I haven't quite crystallized it is if I look at the way professional sports teams scout talent, they look at, they start in high school. They start in high school uh-huh. looking at who the best potential talent is. They start be, building relationships with them young. They have no intention of hiring them anytime soon. There's no rec open for point guard, right? Like they're just, they're, they're building a long-term relationship with them. They're understanding who has what skills, what strengths, right. so that when they have a position open, they already know who the best is. They have a catalog of like, hey, we've talked to this person. We saw this person play here. We I, we know they're on that team. They signed this contract. They have like this, you know, and that's their IP. Like that black book, or that book of business of who the best talent is and who they've talked to is incredibly valuable to them. That's easy to justify when you have players worth millions of dollars. It's less so with everyday employees, right? Right. So how do you scale that up? That's exactly yeah. the problem. That, that's exactly, I think, the, uh, the where the potential value is. And when we, you know, you, you mentioned the infinity loop, really what that is, is talking about building those long-term relationships. And the, the places that I'm really hoping, and this was just referencing my, my talk at Transform, the places that I'm hoping that TA Tech can start to innovate is helping scale up that solution. How do I, how do I know who the best talent is. You know, there's that McKinsey report from several years ago called the war for talent. And they basically say that to win, you need the top 5% of the labor market. Mm -hmm. Well, who are they? (laughs) Mm-hmm. How would you, if you bumped in the street, would you know who they are? And if we can start to talk about that top 5% and the impact they have on your company and the value of having them in your, in your CRM or however you're keeping track of folks, and the value of that relationship with them, then you're talking about a whole different level of ROI and a story that I think is much more compelling than simply, hey, we're able to fill recs faster or we're able to uh, have more people accept our offers. I think those have limited, to your point, those those have limited like appeal to your C-suite. They're like, okay, <laughs> like... <laughs> All right, like our our accept rate is eighty percent. What do I get if it's eighty five? Yeah, but if you can tie those numbers together, it actually makes sense for them. If you can put a dollar amount to them, they can make the decision whether it actually if they give a fuck or not, right? Right, right, exactly. And so I think talking about the dollar value, I know this sounds probably need an actuary on here to talk about talk about the value of a of a life, <laughs> but like the, the the dollar value of having a candidate and having a relationship with them, I think there's a dollar value there or a way to to estimate that that is robust, like something that I think your finance controllers can get behind and that your your C suite can get behind. We talk a lot on the show about vendors that provide you know a lot of services uh, to this industry. And I'm worried I'm I'm curious, obviously Intel, you guys get inundated with with vendors wanting you know you to buy their services how do you your department you specifically um decide on what vendors to use what do you build internally is there a process by which uh someone comes along with a service and you say hey maybe we should build this ourselves how does that work um the best t-shirts that's how we choose them the swag and and booze right (laughs) yeah booze and pens very clickable pens really just sell me everything (laughs) No, we, so actually that's, that's a really interesting question. So I am trying to build, I'm in the process of building a new function here as sort of a, a, a build out for my team that I'm calling an innovation lab because like every, I think, giant multinational corporation, we struggle 
to test new technologies quickly. There's so much bureaucracy between our purchasing and legal and IT that, you know, it takes us uh, an ungodly amount of time to actually get in and pilot some new technology. So we might see, we, we might talk to a really interesting company at HR Tech and go, oh man, we'd love to try this. But we almost sort of like give up and we're like, ugh, <laughs> just the, the amount of work to try it is is a barrier in itself. And how about building it yourself? Is that a, an option when you view some of these services and so- solutions? Um, that's certainly an option. And is that more bureaucratic than deciding who not, to buy? Not necessarily. Let, let me let me wrap up the innovation thing. I'll come back to building it ourselves. So the the intent of this innovation lab that I'm trying to build, and this is for talent acquisition specifically, is to set a goal, like a goal that we can that we can march towards. Of can we turn around a test in 60 days? What would it take? What sort of agreements do we need with purchasing and finance and IT? And can we build a new bureaucracy? <laughs> can we just sort of like, you know, neo this matrix and just say, okay, like streamline bureaucracy, <laughs> nano bureaucracy. What, what world do we, what world do we want to live in? And can we go architect that that will allow us to innovate faster? And that's what I really am trying to drive with this this team is is that 60 day turnaround. And we just pulled that out of thin air. But hey, we figured if we can do it, and we, if we can meet you at HR Tech, decide we want to try your th- your your technology, we could run a quick pilot. We can calculate actually calculate ROI or business value, and then come back with a recommendation. It doesn't mean we have money to go do it, but just to come back to recommendation and say, hey, this actually solves X, Y, and Z problems for us. We recommend that we we go with this one. Um, that's our our end state. Now that to build it ourselves, that is always a possibility. I think there's sort of a fault line here or like on the one hand, it's nice to build it yourself because you can prototype quickly. You know, we, we run, I run a team that operates more or less in an agile structure. Um, so we can iterate quickly. We can customize it. My challenge is that for some technologies like Anything that's using learning, the the pooled experience of that algorithm across many companies with developers who are incentivized to keep it state of the art, I think is advantageous. So I think there's actually there's quite a bit of motivation on in my mind to purchase solutions for you know that that include machine learning or natural language processing that they have the the horsepower behind them in terms of an ambitious company an ambitious um, set of developers who are are actively working on the problem if we build it ourselves we're gonna build it and we're gonna put it on we're gonna put it in and it's it'll do its thing but it will do that same thing for a long time until it becomes a problem we, we simply don't have the bandwidth to always to proactively be making it better all the time we're gonna get it good enough and then let it collect dust until it breaks so so that being said what are some uh solutions that you've tested or used or bought in the last 12 months or so that you've been impressed with there's been a couple different spaces that we've been exploring and wanting to make sure that we're really good at like one thing that i would love and I keep pushing CRMs when I when I talk to them, and maybe you know the, who can do this, but I haven't seen anyone actually do this, is when you're building a recruitment marketing campaign, borrowing analogies from product marketing, you tend to look at just volume. 
like clicks and impressions and but all you're looking at is interest how much interest are you driving without connecting it to what skills you're attracting you have no idea whether or not it was successful success does not mean more success really means the right kind of people so if i'm it may be that if i go set up a campaign for you know goat yoga in santa clara that i will get like 80% of the mid-career software engineers with experience in firmware, right? Like it just might be that the people that are good at that are really interested as a population in, in goat yoga. And if I don't build personas around skill sets, then I'm not doing the right experiments. I'm not doing the right A-B testing. Does, does that make sense? And I, I haven't seen where I've seen CRMs starting to use AI. They're still focused on filling recs. In some cases, AI, and we, we actually had uh, Amanda Bogan on from Upturn, who's a, they're, they're an agency that's focused on uh, equity and justice on the AI side of the house. And and they they were doing some research with uh, with Netflix um, just to see you know that even though the algorithm didn't have gender or race, it found a way <laughs> to make to make uh, their what they were providing from from a movie standpoint uh, more more biased, which was which was weird. Now going back to the goat yoga piece, what if only white dudes that are like close to 50 like joel and i are doing goat yoga <laughs> right is, is, is that not is, is that not just a way to perspectively the machine's gonna find in some cases much like amazon's did they're gonna find bias whether you input gender or race or, yeah. or, or anything into that this this might sound controversial but i don't think it is i think when you're talking about non-biased algorithms it's absolutely critical when you're if you're trying to replace a recruiter if you're trying to match people to a job and say this person is more qualified than that person then absolutely you need to take all the bias out of that you can when it comes to recruitment marketing mm -hmm. i think you want bias you want to use it. And that I know that sounds I, it's probably a, a, an allergic reaction from the entire <laughs> set of listeners here. But what I mean by that is if your company is disproportionately white, middle-aged men, and that's who you disproportionately attract, then you have to go intentionally build campaigns to attract the people that you don't already bring in. And you don't know if you're doing that or not, if you're not looking at it. So if, you, if you're saying like exactly to your point, it may turn out that goat yoga just reinforces the current makeup of my company. I will never, yeah. I will never make a change. I will never make a difference if I don't look at it and go, oh, I'm actually not appealing to these ten other populations that I really think are important to represent in my company. Somebody in town acquisition or even vendors, I mean, what what would you say today? they should walk away with from an actionable standpoint. What did you do? What have you guys done at Intel that has really moved you toward understanding what ROI is and being able to really present back to the business, to big business that, you know, you're worth more than just the budget. What's what's that step they need to take? What would you what would you give them to take away? So I think at a very actionable point is to go look at what are your company's Goal. What are the corporate goals? Uh, you know, most 
most companies are going to have them. I, you know, they're, they're probably going to come mm-hmm. in different formats. They're probably released at different times of the year. You know, it should be in the form of we want to increase revenue for this department by X percent. We want to sell this many units. We want to expand into this many other markets, right? What are those? And start by telling the talent acquisition story related to those problems and work backwards from those. How are we helping that? That's a simple, it seems obvious and it's a very simple thing. What you'll quickly see is like, oh, maybe I'm missing data. I, I can't tell this story because I'm, I'm miss, I don't know which projects I'm hiring for, right? It may be that the only thing you're capturing is who the hiring manager is and which organization they work in, but really this project is a horizontal and it reaches across several departments and you have no idea if you're supporting that project or not. And it's maybe the company's biggest priority. You'll quickly start to see, oh, like I I don't know. We, We seem to be opening requisitions in the same quarter that we say we need the the headcount, but that's simply not feasible. And so then you start to kind of see where those gaps are. If you if you just do that simple exercise of taking the corporate goals, which usually include revenue uh, or in, in some form, and just work backwards from there. It, it's, it's not as simple as it, when you actually start to do it, it's not as simple as it sounds, but I think it's an important exercise. All right, Todd, I'm going to let you add on this one. Uh, and, and first of all, by the way, your answer to my last question, albeit very diplomatic, was, was garbage. Uh, you didn't, <laughs> that is one big pile of shit. You didn't, you didn't mention any vendors. You didn't put your balls out there. So I just, I just have to say that that was that was. That was pretty weak, dude. Uh, So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope, I'm gonna hope that you save yourself uh, on this question. It's it's sort of a fun one. We were we were talking about it before we we hit record. Uh, It looks like around 2011, you guys hired Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas (laughs) to be your uh, (laughs) to to be your what chief creative officer or something. And uh, you had some you had an interesting take on what having uh, an outdated 90s uh, music icon did to your recruiting. Talk about that. This is either going to be a great answer. Don't be weak, man. Come on. Or I'm going to, you know, no, it's cool. Like I, I'm willing to get fired for the, uh, for the uh, you, but are you willing? I am to be fired. Am, am I will? I am to get fired. No, you know, it, <laughs> actually we were talking about the sort of hyper color uh, fab workers that they used to be part of Intel's campaign. You know, they, they danced to like Island in the sun and they had this whole yep. whole thing. And I sort of offhandedly said that it was easier to hire back then. Um, you know, Intel, if you know what Moore's Law is, if your audience knows what Moore's Law is, it's one of our one of our founders. They don't. Okay, so Gordon Moore, one of the founders of Intel, has a thing called Moore's Law that he had, which was basically an industry standard, which said that every 18 months, we were going to double the number of transistors on a chip. That cadence has been the drumbeat that's driven innovation in Silicon Valley for 50 years. That is like the heart, the heartbeat of Silicon Valley. It's why for so long, your phone just your laptop shrunk and your phone shrunk and continued to get more powerful, right? So there's a lot of companies around now that are the darlings of Silicon Valley, right? It's Fang. It's you know the, the Facebooks and the Apples. And that was Intel. Intel was that Silicon Valley unicorn that everybody wanted to work at. And our brand was so strong, especially in the days of Intel Inside and those the dancing you know fab workers. And, the 90s. And the, the 90s were great were great to us. And, um, you know, you didn't have to have a strong 
talent acquisition strategy because you just, you know, open your door and the world lined up, right? You said, hey, we, we think we might hire. I'll bet you back then you could have done an experiment where you just opened a job a job with no job description and no job title and you'd still have applicants. Easily. Right? Like, I'll bet. Just a blank screen with apply now. Yeah, just apply now. No information and people still would have applied. <laughs> Um, and I think I think you know if you go talk to you know I'm sure Facebook and Apple and a lot of those companies still enjoy that right now like where they're at in terms of their brand strength and you know, in some in some segments I think we we still do right like we're still known as a chip maker and every every person getting a degree in electrical engineering knows that Intel is the you know largest chip maker in the world so certainly in those segments that's where we we, we still thrive but we are a growing company and we're trying to address a much larger market that includes things like autonomous driving includes data center data centers and and memory and and all these places that we're not necessarily known for nobody thinks of us as an automaker so where our brand strength is is high sure it's easy where our brand strength is is not high, then we we struggle just like everybody else to attract the right talent. But the will I am thing was funny because it's you know I think <laughs> somewhere there was this idea. This is where this is where I'll, I'll throw you a bone here. Somewhere there's this idea that hey we need to get we need to be cool. I'll bet you I would bet money that the conversation in the room was like hey how do we get cool like Apple? And uh-huh. <laughs> somebody was like well let's let's hire let's hire somebody cool. To go talk for us, and they're like, "Yeah, my kids like the black IPs. Let's get Will. Let's get William. <laughs> <laughs> let's get William." Because <laughs> Fergie was, was busy. Fergie was yeah. too expensive. I'm sure we weren't going to spend that kind of money. And so, like, you know, he even had like. He was even, I don't know if he hosted or he had, he read like one of the awards at like the Grammys or something, but you could probably go find it. He like reads this card and at the end he's like, and Intel is awesome. And then he like sets off the stage and I'm like, all right, that, that's, our, all right. that's ROI right there, motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, dude. Well, but that was the same time I think Polaroid hired Lady Gaga to do the same thing. So, you know, we weren't. I don't know that I would want to put Polaroid next to Intel, but hey, that's all on you, man. Uh, <laughs> that being said, we'll go ahead. You do you, bro. We'll go ahead and we'll slowly close out this wind down the show. Uh, Tyler, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we definitely want to have you again because we have so much to talk about around just the business aspects, obviously, of talent acquisition and analytics but uh, appreciate you coming in man yeah this is this is a blast you guys are fun for anyone who wants to know more about you and or intel or wants to apply to your invisible jobs where would you send them <laughs> <laughs> well you know there's there's uh there's our obviously our, our site our job site um I'm on Twitter at prose talent, like uh, not poems, but prose, prose talent. And um, Lover. I'm on LinkedIn too. So Tyler Weeks. Pretty easy, guys. We out. We out. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. This has been the Chat and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh yeah, you're welcome. Hi. 
how much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.